Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, emotional health, psychological health, physical health awareness in men, women and society. First it started with MAN, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? Hi everyone, my name is Kat Hosreo and I'm currently in Houston, Texas, but I was formerly the under-19 women's head coach of the Iran national soccer team. Wow, fantastic. And you're in, you said you're in, you said you're in Houston. Yeehaw, yes I am. And do you, have you always, based in America, have you always lived in Houston? I've been mainly in the South, so between Oklahoma and Texas. How, what's Houston like? I mean, what's um, what's Houston like? What's what's Oklahoma like? Is there a difference? So it's very um, southern. You do have uh, a lot of. You still have a lot of genuine cowboys uh, out and about in the city. Uh, as far as the culturally goes, they're very hospitable, like you know countries in the Middle East that you know I got to experience firsthand. And it's just there's a whole different world, you know. People here they they love their their American football, their baseball, and barbecues. <laughs> and what's it what's it like as a what's what's it like as a city? What's for the people listening? Because there's a lot of people who don't know about America who may be living in other countries. What what's what's it like to live there? What's it like to sort of be around there? So Houston by itself, it is huge. Um, there's so many big buildings. The roads are big. Everyone drives a massive truck. Um, you know, life in Texas. Uh, you know, the motto is "Go big or go home." And you know, on a menu, you have like the small, medium, large. Well, here they have an additional one called Texas size. So everything here, honestly, uh, you know, it, it's over and beyond as far as uh, the size goes. And you know, I, I love it because the personalities are like that as well. Uh, people are very gracious, very nice, and you know, very welcoming. They're in Houston by itself. It's one of the most international. It has one of the most international communities here. So you have a mix and area of people from all different backgrounds. And you know, people here they they know they've traveled to the Middle East. They've you know been to Europe. You know, it's not they're they're not clueless about it like some other states in in the U.S. So if you say that, yeah, I went to you know for example in Doha, they're like, oh, we just went there for vacation. Um, it's not too foreign for them. Uh, but Houston by itself, it's it's a really awesome city. It's up and growing all the time. You have a huge um, um, youth uh, or young professional development here within various sectors. And uh, Austin, which is just a two-hour drive, is one of the big tech hubs uh, within the U.S. And you know, I'm really happy to you know now live here. Yeah, yeah. And I was just wondering about um, when you mentioned um, Houston being a place which is, which is you would say open because. Um, you being Iranian and and oh you know and I'm just one you know because we've often heard stories about the in certain cities in the U.S. or the U.S. as a whole that um, there's people who can be very um, how can I put it you can call it not ra- racism racist towards um, discriminatory discriminate, yeah. yes towards people but you're saying that it's quite open in Houston yes it's actually it's it's pretty open um you know houston it is one of the biggest oil and gas capitals in the world and uh, iran at the time or is 
uh, whenever sanctions weren't, you know, squeezing the country, um, it was, you know, also a big oil and gas capital. So there was a lot of back and forth. And, you know, people, when you say Iran, they're like, yes, I was there with this oil and gas company, like, for example, in the 70s. And, um, you know, they, they know about the customs, the traditions, the culture. And it's just it's a really nice um, you know, place to be because people are always trying to find that connection with you, that humane connection with you. Yeah, yeah. And um, what are you, are you? Would you say are you currently? Uh, say this. Are you currently a U.S. citizen as as such? Are you, would you, are you class yourself that, or is your home? Is your is your heart somewhere? Or somewhere else? Is it heart? Is your heart there? So I, I was born in the U.S. and I, I moved to Iran when I was 17. And my, my heart is split in half. You know, half of it goes to the U.S., half of it goes to Iran. And it's such a shame that, you know, my two countries, they don't have any relationship. And this is something that I am uh, attempting to to build this bridge between the two countries because if they, they partner together, so many good projects can come out of this. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And... You, you know, it's a it's a hot place. <laughs> quite like the, quite like um, Texas is quite a hot hot like the 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 um, Middle East. Which one would you say? Is it is it is it equal or is it you know is it seasonal? It's um it's like Doha to be honest. It's uh it's like hot probably like nine months out of the year, and then you have a three month period where it becomes. You know, a little bit less hot, but you get a bit of rainfall, and but it remains humid throughout the entire year. But on, on, in all honesty, it does resemble Doha weather. Right. Okay. okay. <laughs> I was just thinking, could I could I move to te- Texas? No, you can. You're yeah. used to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm used to it. I've been here, I've been here nine years, so um, yeah, and it's still hot now, even today. At the moment, it's the 34, which is what. Yeah, it's 34, which is, is it just under 90, yeah, something like that. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk talk about, oh yeah, yes, we'll we'll mention what's happening at the moment. You know, with all this, um, the virus, flu thing, what's actually happening there? What have you seen happening? Well, Texas has, um, you know, they had a strict measure just for like the first couple months and then they relaxed it completely because you know people wanted to continue to work they didn't want to lose too much jobs they didn't want to lose the economy here because texas by itself it's um, one of the biggest economies and has one of the largest gdps for uh, as a state in the u.s and uh, you know to be honest people were not taking it as seriously even though the the death tolls and the the amount of infec- uh, infection was always increasing it was not it did not stop people from continuing their daily life and restaurants were open right now you know you can walk into a restaurant it is like 75 percent capacity full uh clubs are open uh people are going to the office so as far as like the other the measures that other countries and states have taken to be more strict texas has not done that right okay and have you have you heard much news of the rest of america in terms of in comparison to texas Yes, yes. Like, for example, New York, um, you know, Governor Como is a lot more strict. So that's why there has been a, a decrease in the amount of people who are getting infected. Um, California, Washington, because I used to live in Seattle, but a lot of the offices still there are closed. 
Um, you know, a lot of other states have taken different precautions, but Texas as a whole, you know, they've taken it for a little bit. People are cautious, people are wearing their masks, but it doesn't seem to, um, you know, get in the way of their, their daily lives. down to is it is it is it because of the climate that is hotter or what would you say i mean i don't know i mean yeah climate could be a factor i mean i'm, I'm not i'm not yeah, fully yeah. sure climate does play play that huge role but it's more of a mentality here they they don't like being told what to do <laughs> and um you know they they do know that the virus exists but you know it's like, for example, the other day I went to an office, you know, half of the people working there were wearing masks, the other half were not wearing masks. And, um, you know, as soon as you enter anywhere, you, uh, you get your temperature taken. Um, on Sunday, I went to this all-women's brunch event. And uh, at the, before you got there, you had to have a COVID test done, so like a couple of days wow. prior. And then you get your fever, you know, you, they check your temperature and then you're allowed to go in. So they, they, they do take those safety precautions, but... I just feel like people are completely over it. Um, yeah. But it's it's yeah. COVID is here and it hasn't left yet, and we just have to be careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I totally get what you're saying because you know the thing to do with um, Texas, you know, and and being a place of in the past, well, it's still probably still is obviously cowboys and 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 um, being tough and and all those sort of things. So yes, I can totally get it. Um, so let's talk about. Um, yeah, the podcast about mental health and and um, how how do you see during this last how many months? How do you see has your mental health been affected or anyone that you know? So I've um, you know personally, I feel like I needed to put the brakes on my life. I needed that long moment of just getting back into with myself and um you know finding, finding that balance it's uh, you know it's been a few years where it's been non-stop traveling going around the world you know always jet lagged always you know trying to figure out how many hours do i have to nap before this meeting because i just landed from the 17 hour trip and uh, it was non-stop so i really felt like this break was perfect for me um, I took time to spend time with my family. I was studying. I actually applied to go to my favorite university, Rice University in Houston, Texas, and I got admitted to it. And I'm doing exactly what I have for a long time snoozed. Yeah. So for me, it's been it's been a great moment to spend time with my family in Houston to um, get to educate myself again to you know figure out the next steps in my life because soccer has always been a huge part of it but I wanted to a football and I wanted to now see how can I have a more global impact and that's by you know educating myself and figuring out the details of it and this was a great time to do that um, as far as everybody else my friends in New York are suffering they are the party animals and you know they can't live without a weekend doing something you know um, off the charts but uh you know they, they to themselves um you know they're, they're working out at the house they're going to the park more they're reconnecting with nature reconnecting with themselves and uh i think that is that's important and it's like as if a reset button has magically appeared and you know people who took advantage of it are a lot more calm and collected and people who um didn't you you know, you see the outcome. They're still very angry, and you know they weren't able to connect with humans or their family or even with themselves. Yeah, yeah. I noticed. I noticed then that you 
<laughs> you, I laughed at myself because you kind of, you kind of went football then soccer. Which one? What do you prefer to be? What do you prefer? It's, it's called. Means that you've been on sports side of the fence. I'd love for football, but now that I'm in the US, when I say football, they're like, "You don't look like a football player." I'm like, "Not the NFL, <laughs> soccer." <laughs> so excuse me for anyone who's listening. It, it is football, not soccer. <laughs> yeah. So let's let's talk about um, yeah, you, I was just a, just a, a, a kind of a bit about what you just said then about you. How did you how did you get to a point? Was it kind of a burnout thing? This like what you said that you said that you came to a thing where you were going all over the place. Did you kind of feel like oh I'm, I'm in a meltdown? What, what what point did you kind of say you know what enough I'm gonna? This I mean right before COVID happened, I was already on the on the brink of um, breaking down completely because I was working like fourteen hour days prior to that. Prior to moving to the US, I had a week break from the from the national team, and we were traveling to Vietnam, Myanmar, like everywhere. And I really just needed to rest and figure out what is it that I'm passionate about again. What is it that I like? I got to a point where I didn't even want to see a soccer ball anymore. Um, and that's not good because people, once they hear my name, they're like, "Cat is equivalent to football," and that's you know that that was the tipping point for me. So it was you know 14 years working for the national team, and by working, I mean you know as a player and then as a coach. And uh, fortunately, I was able to see you know success within that team, and uh, it was all voluntary. So it's not like I would get any monetary. Um, you know, bonuses anywhere. It was honestly just from the bottom of my heart to help women of this country, you know, to to be able to advance and progress in soccer. And uh, that was 14 years of my life. So now I just needed to, you know, sit, relax, chill, figure out what I like to do, and then, you know, move that path. But yeah, uh, right when COVID happened was when I was on the brink of having, um, uh, you know, my, my breakdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and what did you do then to cope with that? What, what were you doing um, to kind of get back to you? What did you do? What did you have to do? I moved to I moved to Houston to be with my family, to be with my older sister, husband, my niece, and um, you know one thing that like women, especially whenever they have you know tough positions, like I was the head coach of the Iranian national team. And, you know, I have to deal, honestly, with 83 million people. Um, I mean, they either will love you or they will hate you if you don't play good. <laughs> so okay. it, it was a, it was a big burden to have, but I enjoyed it at the same time. Um, and then, you know, people had, you know, very high hopes for me in Seattle. So I had to make sure that I do that. Like, I, I, I keep my I keep my position very high level wherever I go. And uh, I think moving with family was the best uh, medicine uh, just to, to sleep. Honestly, I forgot how to sleep eight hours. Um, I was sleeping maybe like two hours at a time wow. and, or I would take, so I just wouldn't sleep at all. So it was, you know, on the, on the verge of being a complete insomniac, um, you know, taking, eating better, you know, eating, I just used to, although I'm uh, someone who's very involved in health and um, you know nutrition because of my, my players, I was mainly having cliff bars and power bars and Gatorades. That was what was keeping me alive because you don't have time to eat whenever you're always traveling and moving around. Um, so now I finally got to learn how to cook really good food. And to be honest, um, I'm, I'm pretty good. 
I, I will definitely invite you to to try my food. <laughs> I would, I would but uh, yeah, it was the little things in life that uh, we take for granted. So being with family, cooking, and just you know walking around the neighborhood and smelling fresh air without you know having uh, to meet a deadline or having to you know rush back home to get somewhere else. But um, you know that that was good for those few months, and now I feel you know energized completely to to you know hustle again. Yeah. So before we before we kind of um, start to talk about your path and your career and how you you know from the beginning almost like as a child or whatever um, to do with football, um, I was going to say uh, I was going to ask you a question. This question is well, it's not really a question. It's, my, it's more kind of my my perception is football in the US. I mean, I've 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 worked I worked in the US before um, and I coached boys and girls from. I think they were all the way from nine, all the way up to eighteen, and what I at the time, obviously, I don't. It might have changed now because football's progressed since then, um, particularly in the US. Um, that the, the the female tend to be more um, at the time. The f- f- female players in the US were the girls were um, more. Um, how can I put it? They were more advanced in terms of um, play, how they how they'll play. Particularly on, you know, when I was coaching them, um, it tend to be they tend to be more skilled at it in a sense. Um, what do you what do you, th- what do you think to that? The, the girls in the US. Yes, they tend to be at the time. I remember um, it seemed to be more advanced. They tend to be more advanced in oh, yeah. skill play, um, just and everything. You're hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, you're 100 percent correct. I, I started playing when I was five, six years old in the U.S., and there were so many teams, so many players in the five, six-year-old bracket. So imagine these girls are getting, or they're getting that platform from their parents at such a young age because the communities have already started creating this uh, league system, and you know you have the fathers who are coaching the girls, and then you know they start building this self-esteem that. Uh, you know, you can't get or build anywhere else unless you are on a team or unless you're in that environment. And the U.S. was way far ahead than everybody else because they were, everybody was looking for a way to get their daughters involved in soccer because they were seeing how much fun it is, how much fun they're having. You know, the parents are, uh, you know, they, they find that community. And if, if it wasn't for the community that soccer or football builds for these girls, it, it would have been as popular as it is now. But the excitement, it's just phenomenal what U.S. has done in the last like 20-25 years when it comes to women's soccer. I haven't seen any other country take that initiative um, back then, but now I do. Like I know the U.K.'s um, you know, been, been re- really trying to implement um, this system uh, for, for youth soccer, grassroots soccer, and it, they're seeing the results. You know, they're always um, you know, in, the, in the finals or they're in the top four at least. And this is something to be very proud of from the U.K. perspective, but you know that Asia needs to step it up a bit, um, especially in Middle Eastern countries and Iran. You know, I've been in Iran for 14 years, and you know this conversation has been the same for the past 14 years uh, that we need to start grassroots soccer. Yes, of course we do. That's the way you can build strong teams that can compete against, the, like you know, England and the U.S. But yeah, in the U.S., they have been really regiment with you know always continuing to build 
leagues starting at very very young ages and to make sure that progresses and you know they have like different divisions and then they start pr- taking the elite players and you know finding them to put on teams but the one thing in the US that I'll say is that when it gets to the college time everything kind of changes and becomes yeah. so expensive yeah. um then the girls are only playing to be recruited and it's not much of a passion anymore it's more of like if i don't get the scholarship i can't go to the school oh yeah so yeah. that that's been you know, i'm still like learning learning to adapt to what's actually going on here uh, i'm still learning about the rules and just the way the girls are but uh, yeah the, around that like 17 18 year old age i don't know if it's passion or if it's um you know the fact that if they don't get that scholarship they can't go to school yeah and i'm wondering if um because i you know saying then that even the, when i was when i was coaching here a lot of the kids both boys and girls um were very um they were like i don't know if i don't know the hunger my every word so basically um I don't know whether it's, oh, yeah. I don't know whether it's seen a you know at the time I remember seeing oh, yeah. if it was being a being a, a black man with an English you know because I would say black man with an English voice I mean you know some people were surprised they were shocked at the time because obviously then at that time around those times it, it was almost you know listen you know Idris Elba came later on um and me being there and kind of speaking to them and the kind of home on my word um his his the, the, i think they expect to be be from one of the states when they first saw me but then by the looks of me they didn't re- they, they kind of realize oh maybe he's not so then when i started to open my mouth it was like oh and even the parents were were shocked um so but when i started to teach them you know the skills um, you know the train the training them um they hung on my you know my every word which oh yeah it was completely oh, yeah. different is a completely different um way of me because in in the UK the coaches are coaches around all the time and for right. some some children would kind of put their head down and walk off and not be bothered or not interested or kind of don't don't um, do what you're asking them to do even in doing a little skill whereas in in right. over there they would um literally hung on my hung on my every word um so you're saying then there's something sponge like of of the children that want to learn there yes exactly um and another thing in the US that i've seen is the the term helicopter parents being used quite often um you know in wherever else i've coached it's just like the parents honestly will drop their kids off and you know peace out whereas in the US like they will watch every move and they're like no my daughter has to play like this or pass like that I'm like listen let me Like, I, I'll I'll help you. Like, you know, we're educated in this. Like, I'll, I'll take your word, but you know, let me do my job as well. Uh, that's something that I've seen in the U.S. as far as like the parents being, you know, a bit overbearing. But you know, I, I finally found my way with the parents in the U.S. and you know, they trust me 100% with uh, you know their daughters because I too want the best for them. Yeah. I too want to find you know everything that they're very good at and what their what their magic is. So that's been, you know, a skill that I'm honing in on. But yeah, you're right. It's um you know, they listen for like every little detail um a bit a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, you know, they 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 take away from like the natural uh the naturality of yes, uh, developing. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um so let's talk about um you growing up and and then your path to 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 uh, the national team and and 
how at times because I'm sure it must have been um it must have been tough times and um so we'll talk about those things and, and your kind of journey um what you growing you wanted to play football where did that come from I played football when I was, I was put on a team when I was five by my father. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of fell in love with it after the first session. So I remember like a couple of days leading up to it, he was like, you know, you're crazy. You have too much energy. And, you know, I found a solution for this. <laughs> and the uh, soccer was the solution. And uh, once, you know, he put me on that schedule, it was three times a week with a game on the weekend. Wow. And uh, he saw a major advancement in my personality. He saw me honing in on my skills. He saw, you know, all that energy, that built up energy was, you know, being released so I could sleep at night. And it was honestly a very perfect um, sport for me to be playing. So it, it, it was honestly the perf- most perfect sport for me. And I just fell in love with it. And, you know, Gradually, you know, my father was always making me watch games. I got to watch the women's game a lot, and um, you know, I, I kept telling him that I want to be, I want to be playing on those stadiums. I want to be, you know, putting my hair, like braiding my hair like that. And you know, I started mimicking everything that the national teams were doing because I just wanted to be just like them. Wow, wow! So even at that young age, you, so you would say then, in a sense, it was like a, a role reversal of UK. In terms of exactly the, the men, the boys were men have gr- men have grown up, boys have grown up with football in mind um, from a young age, and now it's over there. It's the it, it's tends to be girls that are kind of growing up with that. Um, so how how did you continue your passion? You know, during your your um, tender age. So I mean. I got selected at a very young age to play on something that was, you know, huge back then called the Olympic Development Program. And that was the most elite program for women's soccer at the time. And, um, it, you know, you're, you're being coached by actually uh, coaches from Scotland, from England, and they had a whole different perspective when it came to, um, you know, women's soccer and the development of women's soccer at such a young age. Yeah. And from there, I was invited to the regional team, which is one step um, before, you know, being invited to the national team. And, um, you know, there, it was around, you know, those, imagine for four years, I was playing on three different teams, <laughs> my high school team, my pro, my club team, which was like very advanced and also the Olympic development program team. And we were always training. I was always traveling and, you know, I had a... You know, I had a schedule set up for me in a month where, you know, my, my, if it wasn't my father, it was like my the, the team manager that would, you know, be driving all of the players here and there. So it was, um, you know, it was honestly nonstop soccer for, you know, all my life. Yeah, yeah. And was there any was there any time where you felt, um, like, I'm, I'm, was there any point in in, in in during those years that you thought I'm not going to do this or? I'm going to give it up or was any t- time where you, maybe a disappointment or you were upset with or maybe maybe something's happened where you didn't want to do it so there's other things happening so in, in my in the development tender ages you know up until 17 no i was you know hyper focused that this is exactly what i want to do this is where i want to go but uh, with the with the 
with the fact that, you know, if I was going to go to school, which I, obviously I was going to go to school, I'd have to do, you know, a major like go to medical school or go to engineering school because this is, you know, coming from a Middle Eastern family, those yeah, are your only yeah. two options. Um, but yeah, football is always a part of it. I mean, up until 17, I'm sorry, just trying to get my car to go to my meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and this will be edited, correct? <laughs> I'll try. I'll, I'll try. I'll edit the bits out where it's in, but I like this because it, it, it seems genuine. You see. Okay. 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 Um, yeah. So up until seventeen, I never, I never had a feeling or doubt that this isn't what I was going to do. Um, and then when I moved to Iran, it was, it ended up becoming, you know, my my life's goal to get women <laughs> to play soccer. But little did I know was that I was going to be changing the history or the face of, um, you know, what women were enduring uh, during the or post-Islamic uh, revolution. Because when the 1979 revolution happened, women were not involved in sports, especially soccer, because how were they going to, you know, have women play uh, soccer, you know, domestically or internationally, because, you know, the uniforms are shorts and shirts and, you know, hair is out. But, you know, I, I decided to, you know, help start the very first national team uh, in Iran after the revolution. Right. So for, for those not listening... So it those, became... Just, for, just to let know those people out there that sorry. don't know about the revolution and, and all the things, what was actually happening in Iran at the time? And what was, what was it like for you to, 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 to move from um, a place like the US and then completely different place like they run all right so america it is land of the free it is um you know you have everything that you could ever dream of you never need to get permission to walk on a field you never have anyone telling you no you can't play um you can play with um, hijab you can play without hijab you can you know, do whatever you want uh, when I moved to Iran, it wasn't, um, I actually didn't know I was moving to Iran. I was there for summer vacation that led to uh, me meeting all these amazing women that wanted to play soccer. I didn't have, you know, the, the tools to play soccer. But in fact, um, you know, within a couple of sessions and me, you know, working out and training uh, indoor soccer with them, uh, some uh, some of the officials from the federation they actually told me that they are on the move to start a women's national team, and that there will be a tournament in a couple months. But and I, I was sold immediately. They didn't have to say anymore. And um, you know when I was living in Iran, at, this is during 2005. It was very difficult to find uh, just a simple gym for women. Uh, but now, I mean, if gyms are flourishing like, you know, mushrooms everywhere. But back then it was very different. You know, there was no women's soccer. Uh, you had indoor soccer, uh, so the five-a-side, and that was really it. Um, whenever the first national team started, it was, um, you know, to my disbelief that, you know, I, I never played with hijab before. I didn't know um, what that meant culturally. I just knew that, you know, they told me that this is your new uniform and, um, you know, I... You know, first I was shocked, but then I realized that, you know, the rest of my team will have to wear this as well because it is very tough to play with um, something that is 100% polyester and then, you know, something very tight around your ears and neck. And mind you, I'm extremely ticklish. So having that for me was, you know, it, it was really bad. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know, that, that was, you know, that that was the only way to play to play soccer in, in Iran. It was if we, if we wore the long sleeve shirts, the long pants, the hijab. 
and um, you know, and have it all be baggy. Yeah. So was it? Uh, so that what, was the very first. So are you say. saying that there was yeah. no up, up until that point there was no there was no history of because I'm not sure. There's no history of football in Iran. There's no, you know, of women wanting. Prior, but before the revolution, there was a team. They, um, you know, I think they had. Uh, they played against uh, Israel. They played against Brazil. Uh, there was. They, they were. They were. They were good. They were playing with shorts. So there was a moment where they were playing soccer or football. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and I was going to say, isn't. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is is it Iran, or was one of those countries where, or is it some of the several of those countries where they cannot go to a man's a men's football match? Oh, that that was Iran. Yeah. That is Iran. Yeah. And so, when you when you heard that, what was what was your thoughts on that? Okay. So uh, luckily, when I first moved to Iran, and I um you know I I made I was selected for the national team. They uh, they invited us to go to the stadium to watch Iran um, against Libya back in 2005, and you know I see my teammates you know completely like shocked and they're like oh my god we're here I'm like so what it's just a stadium, and uh, you know they're like no Kai you know we've never been allowed to come into the stadium, <laughs> and this was back in 2005. Right. So I obviously took it for granted. You know everybody else outside of Iran takes it for granted that going to the stadium is a is a big ordeal. But um, you know that's another mission that I was you know willing to stick around to see if I could help you know alleviate the the, the rules and bending the laws. Yeah. So in those in those in that time, Nick, was there anything that you? I'm going to say this, but I'm, I'm going to assume that there must have been. Were there many things that you had to come up against and kind of fight against? Sorry, what was the main word that you used? Was there anything that you came up that came up against that you had to fight against to try and get some sort of policy involved or some something some sort of change? You know, what are some of the hurdles that you had to had to face? I think the whole development of women's soccer was a massive hurdle. Um, just to you know get the okays to walk into a stadium or to go training or not even a stadium, a training field, and um, you know playing. Everyone had their own and you had to get permission from every single person and that's like maybe up to 50 people that holds the right to say yes or no and if one says no the rest is no even if another person says yes but um, it, it was a very complicated this intertwining labyrinth of a system where you didn't know if you were taking the right step forward or in fact two steps back um, just like I said to get the budget to have the training to go to the gym uh, within the national team camp back in the day, it was extremely difficult uh, to get those permissions. But now, when they've seen that if they do add a little bit of uh, money on women's soccer, it will actually flourish. And I think that um, when I was the head coach of the under-19 team, they saw the results of you know the, the continuous camps, the continuous attention, getting men involved in women's soccer. They saw that within a few months that we were beating, uh, you know, teams or at least tying top teams across Asia and winning against teams against in, in, in Europe. And I think that was the that was the tipping point of them finally seeing that if they just put some, you know, financial backing to it and a little bit of attention, it will flourish. Yeah. And did you ever come up, you know, some of the, the players um, that you did you ever have any? Um, let's say. Um, players that may may have wanted to play 
but their fathers didn't or, or was there any certain kind of struggles that side of things as well surprisingly um no i never i didn't have too too much of an extreme situation i did have um one where uh, you know we have a lot of different religions in iran and we have a lot of different um, ethnic backgrounds and um, one of the ethnic backgrounds is the kurdish background and you know they're, they're a different religion from the majority of iranians and you know they they believe that women or girls can be uh, they can get married at a very young age uh, for actually for a, if they have a high dowry which is um, you know um, a security deposit is what i like to to call it as yeah. one father uh, you know was did not want his daughter to come play soccer because he said that he was um, you know he found a good suitor for his 9 uh, 10 year old daughter and it was for about $40,000 at the time and i had to convince the father to not let his daughter get married at a young age and if she plays in the league you know she will get money and then she can help support the family i had situations like that which was you know it was a huge culture shock for me but for them it's a very normal situation um and you know that that, that was probably my most extreme case but other than that uh, whenever i would actually go town to town to find players the fathers would pack the daughter's bag and like take her and make her into the next superstar <laughs> yeah and and in terms of things like um and like you said the culture shock um i think that's what i was trying to get at, at the beginning what was a culture shock like for you moving from making that jump from america not just to play football but just landing there i know you've probably been there on holiday but what was to move there permanently what was that that like for you in terms of mental It's the same it's the same feeling um when I first landed in Iran or when I first landed in the US it's both the same I get goosebumps I start crying and I feel at home uh Iran is just you know it's, it's the bipolar opposite of the US that you know whenever you land you have to wear a hijab it's on the covering but the the love the affection the the hospitality is a whole different level um you know my my entire family cousins that I've never met you know they came to greet me at the airport the first time I I landed I had over 60 people with flowers and posters wow. you know chanting my name and I felt like a celebrity I'm like I'm <laughs> I'm just cat from you know Tulsa Oklahoma but no so them I'm like I'm cat from America I'm their cousin and you know they made me feel very special and um you know wanted it there and uh as far as you know what Iran has to offer I mean aside from the facade of what the news is covering it's a very beautiful country um I have had so much fun living there for 14 years um you know I've got to travel domestically everywhere and you know one day I'll go skiing in the evening I'm like oh I want to go to the beach so I'll just travel like an hour south and I'll be, be by the most beautiful pristine waters um you know I learned how to ski in Iran like who would have thought that you get to ski you know on the fourth largest mountain in Asia and you know I've swam with dolphins uh, for free I didn't have to pay like the crazy uh, fee like for example in Dubai or in Doha to swim, play with dolphins in a pool I got to play with them in the ocean yeah. so I mean you, you have uh, and the food oh my god because I'm, I'm a professional athlete that has you know big appetite and in Iran it's very difficult to say no but um you know the culture shock portion was a very good culture shock the only thing that was obviously different was the islamic covering which uh, you know i was i'm i'm adaptable it was easy for me to understand the concept and the culture and tradition behind it 
So uh, it, it didn't take too much of an effort for me to integrate with uh, that system. Yeah. And was there anything that really um, test over the 14 years? And let's yeah, was there anything really that that what was your highlights? What was your highlights? Was it like the, the first moment you stepped out with the um, Iranian team? What were your kind of and how did you feel? fond memory is uh, when we got to travel to Jordan for the first uh, Western Asian football um, tournament. So it's uh, Iran, Jordan, uh, Syria, Bahrain, and I think Palestine at the time. But it was my first time playing for a national team, and the the adrenaline rush that I was having was intense. Like I've never felt anything like that before, representing a country and you know beating teams like 10-12-0 after two months of training. So it showed me that you know this is I'm at the right place at the right time, and I'm going to take full advantage of it. And you know I I was traveling all the time, and you know I had to study all the time, and you know I had so much support from my family uh, to be able to live this uh, dual life <laughs> in in Iran. And uh, you know it's, I'm so happy that I got to you know have that have that life in, in Iran. I don't think many people can say that they are you know American Iranian living in Iran helping to, to start this huge platform for women's software development. Yeah, and in terms of things like mental health um, in comparison to the USA, what's, what's, what's it like there in terms of awareness for people's mental health? People don't pay attention to their mental health and I think that's what really, um, you know, after, after those de- uh, mental health uh, development stages, they actually start um, you know going through this uh, depression and they become very anxious and they don't know how to deal with stress whereas in the US uh, you know we always had uh, team psychologists always with us and you could just talk and you know take it out of your system whereas in Iran it was like a taboo like no one is allowed to know that I'm feeling sad or bad um, I shouldn't even know that I'm feeling you know stressed and that's one thing that I did notice very early on that people were always hiding behind uh, a curtain when it came to their emotions and they were never, they always had a poker face. Like they could have had the worst feelings, you know, circulating in their head, but they will never talk about it. Um, and I'm seeing now a lot of my teammates, you know, suffering from, uh, from depression because of it, but they just don't want to talk about it. Right. And what, what would you like to, would you like to see change? I mean, obviously you would, but what, what changes would you like to see happening? I mean, for when I was the head coach of the national team, I, um, you know, I, asked for a psychologist to be with us at all times and you know I always had to have uh, I set up these meetings for my players that you know I created that safe place for them to talk and they did and that's why my team was able to you know honestly flourish and become very successful because they were harmonic with themselves with their team uh, they they were relaxed and they knew that when they came to camp it was a safe place for them to be themselves and this is what I want to you know integrate within entire society not just women's soccer for people to just talk about how they feel and not feel it and that it's a taboo to talk about how, how what's going on in their minds or in their feeling yeah um and you know i know you've got a meeting to go to and things like that but for you um let's just let's kind of hone in on some of the successes and some of the things that you've you've kind of let let people know what you've actually done for um iran but also the iran women and, and, and the country as a whole and, and for football? 
All right, so there there are a lot of firsts, but fortunately, it's, I'm not the, the last person. I was the first um, player for the Iran national team. I was the first woman to receive her A license for uh, coaching uh, for Iran. I was the first uh, head coach that was invited to uh, to to come to the U.S. and start playing or start training a top team, the OL Reign in Seattle, Washington, and. Um, these are just a couple of them, and uh, you know, aside from this, I do have my master's in chemical engineering, and I've been, you know, used pursuing a, my career path, and that career also has led me to help fund a lot of my projects uh, within the, the region for women's soccer. Yeah, and how were you received in in Iran, in as in you know, to the general public and in men's football, women's football, just to the general public? Well, how were you received? I was odd for them because they're like, you're America, you're American, and you are living, you know, a very different life. Like, why are you here? Like, how are you able to tolerate this? And, you know, they didn't believe that I would last that long to stay in a country that was very unknown to me. I mean, it was very foreign to me as well. But, um, you know, I proved all of them wrong within the first, like, five, six years that, you know, I'm here to stay and I'm here to, um, you know, make sure that I have progressed and I make sure I've helped to create a legacy for, for other women and other girls once they saw that i was very pushy and adamant to help uh help that growth they they respected me but it, it was a lot it was an uphill battle and i'm very happy that i got to you know fight and got the was it? not fight but i was able to you know work for what i believed in and i got to see the results before i left and also during that during those 40 years was there any points where you again was there any points in those 40 years where you thought Maybe maybe I'm banging my head against brick wall, or I'm just going to keep fighting. Was any was any time where you thought, you know what, I'm, I've I've had enough, or I'm going to walk away from the game, or um, and you know what what was that like for you? Well, as a player, I, I walked off really early, and that wasn't because I was you know self doubting myself, but mainly because you know I made a decision that it's time for me to coach because. You know, as a player, I can only have so much influence, but as a coach, I can have, I have a large audience to, to talk to. Um, but other than that, no, I never had, I never wanted to walk away from what, what, how, because I, I dreamt about it. I dreamt about it so much that I knew this was where I had to be. I knew this is what I was meant to do, and I didn't want to give up until I saw the results. Um, but to answer your question, that no, I never, I never wanted to, to leave. Yeah, and what's the next what what's the next stage in your what's the, what's your next kind of you you kind of do you think you've left that behind and what's your next stage of, of progression in terms of um women's football so i'm actually pursuing um it's my second master's in global affairs at rice university and uh, i want to now be able to have a sports diplomatic uh, relation between um, the U.S. and Iran. I want to hone in on all my skills, not you know, not just as um, a, someone who was a player or a captain and as a head coach, but someone that is now able to you know have a greater impact on women's soccer at you know, the global on a global scale. That's you know what I tend to do. This is why I'm really trying to hone in on my skills to um, you know create these uh, big platforms for women to you know to join me. And let's get women's soccer, you know, up to the next level, especially in my region and in, in the Middle East. Yeah. 
And so you 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 obviously got still got an affinity with the with Iran. You you in the US, and so basically what you're trying to do is really, which you've always tried to do, and and been and you know been successful at it, is um, build a bridge, kind of close that gap. In terms yes, of but now uh, now I get to do it with some as, as someone who. I mean, you know, has the degree in it, not just as the head coach, and uh, I think that would be it would be helpful in um, you know gaining the respect that you know I did spend two years <laughs> of suffering in school yeah. uh, to be able to you know find find that voice because as a head coach you can only say so much, but now as someone who has the experience in foreign relations and or in global exposure, I can put everything under this umbrella and move forward as a sports diplomat. Yeah, and just before we kind of wrap this up, you. You um, you've been you mentioned Doha Doha a lot Qatar. Um, what do you, how do you see Qatar? Because it's got the football, it's got the World Cup in two years time. What do you think of Qatar and and, and um, you know what are your thoughts on it? Hey, first and foremost, I have to say this: I love Qatar. Like I've um, been going there for the past twenty years. Um, it, it is like a home for me. I have always felt uh, very accepted there. And what they have done with the Aspire Academy, you know, they, they look what they got that they became the Asian champions because of what their vision from like 10 years ago. Uh, I respect what they have done for, you know, uh, building academies, bringing in some of the best coaches, having that great league structure. But they are lacking um, the development in women's soccer, and maybe because there's not that much interest. Definitely. Uh, but I, this is something that I would definitely like to help and be a part of uh, the advancement of women's soccer in Qatar in the f- near future. Yeah, that's something that, I mean, when I first came here um, and subsequent since, since then, um, I remember taking these, <laughs> taking the bunch of girls um, with a school and because I work at the school and um, the, in my first couple of months, I, you know, I did some coaching with them in, in the, the PE, in the, in the, in the sports. And they managed to win um, the school's kind of championship for girls. Um, and it was, I was only been there for three months, and it wasn't for want of so much skill. You know, there's a couple of girls who were skillful, but the, it was more um, wanting to play and attitude. And they beat some of the, you know, I mean, these are girls who have never played together before, never played in a team before, um, and literally they became, you know, the champions of. Of you know for the school's football um, and beating some of the much I mean I mean our school's small small primary school so you beating some of the bigger schools here so one of one of my things I've always said I wanted to be by being here is to try and help um, the, the children but also try and get girls because I think that's what's missing girls football um, women's football um, is definitely lacking here um, and I think they need more encouragement to do that. Exactly, exactly. And, um, you know, with the fact that the World Cup is coming up, I definitely do, I, I do, like, I do want to be a part of it. I don't know how yet, but I, I do, whether it's an ambassador role or anything, but I think the fact that it's the first World Cup in the Middle East, you know, all of us who um, represent the Middle East have to, you know, have to support Qatar um, as much as possible because it's it's representing all of us in the region yeah. the fact that you know we we have to we're, we're hosting even though qatar is you know is the main venue but all of us middle easterners we you know we have to you know put on a good show we have to show them what what we're really like and you know be true to ourselves when it comes to 
um, being hospitable and um, you know making sure that people leave wanting to come back. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and, and you're definitely right. Then it definitely needs a, a it needs a sort of um, a sporty or football, somebody who's big in sports or football um, as a female um, a Qatari, you know, Qatari lady or Qatari girl to kind of be in, uh, like a figurehead um, to kind of. And I say figurehead, I mean somebody, the need, you know, it's not just about the men's football because you've got the world, which is all ex- inclusive um, and exclusive. Um, so it needs, it, it, it could do with somebody being, you know, sort of girl or something, just just to help boost that side of things. Um, so what would you say to um, uh, a female um, if they were struggling with mental health? Men and women, but... You know, we're talking about female football. We say, in terms of getting into sport, what would you say um, uh, to a woman in terms of getting up with her mental health? I'm sorry, you cut off sorry. Um, yeah, really badly. Can you please repeat that? Yeah, sorry, I'm quitting. Um, what would you say to um, uh, first women in terms of mental health and, and trying to get into sport? Don't be afraid to talk about the fact that you want to get involved in sports. Um, one other thing that I can definitely recommend is that, you know, if you if you have that vision that you know you want to be a part of this, you know, global game, whether as a player, as a manager, you know, do it, get involved. We need more women, especially in the region, to to be a part of this beautiful game, and uh, you know. Don't don't be afraid. You know, soccer or football is the big, it's the safest space for you to be who you really intend to be. And you know, you seem to come in and flourish. And uh, you know, if you ever need help or if you ever need anyone to talk to, I'm always available for you. Yeah. And in terms of mental health globally for everybody, what would you say during this time? And and you know, because I think the biggest fallout of what what's happening now is going to be mental health. What do you? What would you say to someone? Give you know, give us a line of something you know. To maybe get get help, or what would you say? It's okay to be um, feeling bad these days. It's okay to um, you know to not understand what the heck is going on in the world. It's okay. Um, this is uh, this is just the way life is at the moment. So don't feel like you have to you know try to make the most out of it and you know try to like do all these classes and you know to lose weight and you know to you know, don't worry about it take a step back relax you know just um, you know and enjoy life for what it has to offer because you're never going to get have this time to yourself where you can actually just go for a walk in the park and you know cook whatever you want and be with your family um it's it, it's okay just sit back chill and relax and i'd like to say thank you for coming on i mean i'm sure you know, I know we kind of brushed over lots of things there, and you and you you kind of because I know that you're in a, you know in a you've got meetings because um, I think that we, there's more to be spoken about about the the part where you went to um, Iran and the women's football. I think there's a lot more there that could be spoken about. So I'd like to have you back on the show again to talk about maybe something that's happening there, um, maybe some of the things that you can remember um, and some things you can jog your memory about your time would, in Iran. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. What was the final question? I was. There was no question. It was more sort of. I'd like okay. to invite you back on the show, just to. Oh, I would love that. I would about, love that. Because I know there's a bit there where we kind of brushed over, and you kind of 
we were moving quickly because obviously the time but it'd be nice to talk about um some of the things that happened actually in iran and, and some of the things that you've kind of some of the hurdles that you've had to kind of jump over anyway in your life and and things like that so and even if your family you know so i'm sure your family would have moved from iran and and and, and moved across so it'd be nice to talk about things like that as well in the next episode well, thank you so much for having me. I was definitely, I'm looking forward to our next conversation. Yeah, definitely. And just to say thank you and, and God bless you. And, and uh, you know, I hope everything um, is, it, you know, works out for you. Okay. All right. God bless. Thank you. And cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. That was Men Are Nuts. Speak to you soon.